Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, a rare Sunday edition, October 2nd. Another difference is different intro music. The City Champs taking a break for this episode in favor of the upstate band Cash Machine, fronted by my good friend Zach Thigpen. Full album coming out soon. This song, Digital Zeus, is one of the two singles they have. They're on Spotify, Apple Music, all the major streaming services. Tremendous band that uh, just blows my mind. Going to have the full version of this song at the end of this podcast, so stay tuned for that. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 990 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Football season is grilling season and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. I'm Josh Burrell, receiver and running back for the Florida State Seminoles. When I'm back home in the Midlands, I enjoy grilling and relaxing with my family, and we get everything we need from Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio. Thanks, Josh. I'm Jack Oliver, and we proudly offer the Big Green Egg, Weber, and Traeger Grills, Blackstone Griddles, and beautiful patio furniture, too. We're located at 3303 Forest Drive in Columbia and online at jackoliverpools.com. And we deliver. They're good people. Go see them today. Okay, to our conversation, Joe Giglio, a basically an institution uh, up in the Triangle and in coverage of the Wolfpack. We reached him on his way back up to Raleigh today. Great stuff here on a lot of different fronts. Enjoy. All right, joined by Joe Giglio uh, from WRAL, longtime chronicler of the Wolfpack. How you doing, man? I am good, Larry. I am driving home, driving back to the Triangle. Interested to hear uh, what you thought about just the overall atmosphere. I think the last night game that NC State played here was maybe, was it 02? 
when yeah <laughs> Philip Rivers, Rivers and McClendon. Yeah. Um, Thursday, Thursday night game. Yeah, I believe I believe that's true. Um, Clemson obviously uh, one of the best atmospheres out there. They've done a lot to spruce up their um, the bells and whistles, new j- big jumbotron sound system, all that stuff. What do you What do you think? Just as a an outsider coming in, just ex- it's sort of soaking it in. Um, this sort of the 2022 version of of, of Death Valley. Yeah, the last two times I've been there were noon games in 16 and 18, if I'm not mistaken. And I, it's it, it's an impressive atmosphere even during the day, but I thought it was turned up a notch at night. And then the new video board, the LED lights, which are all the, the fad right now, they have those in Raleigh now too. So, um, and, you know, the buses, the hill, and all the, all the pageantry that kind of goes with a game at Death Valley. It's so weird and interesting, the NC State-Clemson dynamic in terms of passion for football, because while NC State is not in Clemson's class in that category, it's NC State is still a really good atmosphere um, when, when, when they get rolling, and especially when, when Clemson is, is in town. How do you compare the two as far as just the, all the – uh, the pageantry and all that of a of a of a big home game. I, I think NC State has a really good setting, but this is where the volume is is different, right? I mean, NC State's got fifty five thousand, whereas you're talking, I'm, I'm sure it's eighty plus now down at Memorial Stadium. So, and, and you know, like you say, in terms of class, when you have as much success as Clemson has had, you know, your fans are going to be that much more passionate and, and diligent about, uh, you know, getting to the stadium on time is always a thing. We've heard Lane Kiffin talk about that recently and then coming back after, you know, after halftime, I don't think they have pass outs at Clemson anymore. They do, uh, but they, they still do at NC state. So it's been a, uh, it's been a challenge, but actually my two sons went to the game and that's one of the things they said, wow, everybody was back there at, right after halftime and you know nobody leaves and all those other good things so uh yeah it's just a it's a obviously the best atmosphere in the acc and clemson has the closest thing to an sec program and and and, you know general feel than than any other program in the country your sons went to the game last night yeah they both did they were excited uh, to see game day so they were up early went down i went down with them and uh, they enjoyed that, the signs. They made their own signs and all those good things. So they were uh, they were fired up. Are they in the car now? They are. Are they having yeah. to be really quiet? <laughs> ah, they're fine. They, they're still kind of trying to catch up on their sleep from the whole weekend. Uh, yeah, we woke up pretty early with the storm on Friday, and with my radio show, I was. Know, trying to get here and uh, be be in position, so we left pretty early on Friday. So we, we've been we've been getting after it pretty good. So it's been it's been a good trip. Are they big NC State fans? Yes, they're both state fans, so they're disappointed, uh, but they they know how the world works when it comes to NC State and <laughs> big and big moments. So. <laughs> What were their, what did their signs say? 
Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I think it won. <clears throat> their big sign was Dabo sits when he pees. <laughs> so they're, they're very proud of that. I side. love that. <laughs> that is great. I thought the winner, so, the winner was, uh, it was a, a, a picture of the wide right field goal. Yeah, uh, tracking Ian. Yeah. Oh my lord, that was just next level. Um, really, really, really great. Uh, really great thinking there. Um, all right. So you, well, first of all, you and I talked yesterday about the, the hybrid role you have. And I think we talked about it a good bit the last time you were on the podcast, maybe like a year ago. Um, you mentioned you had to get done with your radio show on Friday before you head down. And you and I were talking like, you're an old newspaper guy. You were in newspapers for how long? 24 years. Yeah. And so the routine of a newspaper guy or a writer, I guess I should say, is you can you can get a lot of work done. I mean, it's still a lot of work, but you can in, in a during the week of a college football season, you can be done by Thursday, right? And then okay, I'm going to take the rest of Thursday off and mosey on down Friday. Um, whereas when when you have a daily radio show, you're you're not as easy, not as flexible. So what's that been like for you uh, as you made that? Uh, transition to having more of a, I guess, 15 hours a week on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Radio is hard. And, you know, like you, I've had a uh, passion my whole life for, for sports and sports journalism. And I've kind of considered myself a, you know, a, someone who could talk about sports with really anyone. And then, you know, you, until you sit down in front of a microphone and, and have to do it every day for three hours, you don't realize what a challenge it really is. And, you know, we are lucky in the sense in the triangle market where we have multiple things to talk about. We do end up talking a lot about the NFL. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that we kind of get into so that that can help. Um, but, you know, on the other sense, you know, you guys have it right in the Clemson market where everything's about Clemson and everything's about, you know, the Tigers and Tiger football and kind of how that program really runs the ACC now and how it's changed. And, you know, it's there's a there is a there's a, a strength and a plus to that that we don't have because we don't just have the one school. So um, there's challenges both ways and. Certainly there's challenges in writing and, and coverage, as you know, access has changed so much. Uh, you know, NC State at home still does their Zoom stuff on for post-game. Dave Doran does his Monday press conference on Zoom. It's not in person. Um, what is up with that? You know, Why? They don't. It, Dave is not great with the media. Uh, it's never been his strength. And... He, they like to have control over everything. So, you know, it's easy to control things on Zoom. It's also easier, you know, someone's probably not going to pop off on a Zoom because they're more aware of, of their surroundings and aware that, you know, what they're, what they're going to say is going to be recorded and, and used and repurposed. Um, so in a sense, I don't blame them, but, you know, it, it obviously takes away from uh, your ability to interact with the players and have a relationship with, with them. And same with Dave, you know, um, it's year 10 for him. And he's, you know, 
I, we have a, a fairly decent understanding, but that understanding is mostly I know he's not going to be of much help, uh, which isn't great. You know, uh, I could pick up the phone and call Tom O'Brien, but I got off the phone with you and he'd call me back and we could talk and do all those things. And, you know, a name a basketball coach from the last, you know, 20 years and I could do the same. But that's just kind of how Dave is wired. And it's interesting, you know, being at game day and just seeing Dave be the target of really a lot of Clemson <laughs> fans ire. You know, it's uh, he just doesn't have that, you know, cult of personality, if you will, in Raleigh. Uh, but I can't understand, like, in pieces, you know, the cigar and the solo cup and uh, the laptop and, you know, whatever other <laughs> comments through the years that have been made. But that's not really, you know, who he has been. He, he's not Mac Brown. I mean, there's only one Mac Brown, as you know, uh, who, who is truly the master with the media and a master communicator. You know, it's not really Dave's forte. Um, so it's kind of it was kind of interesting to see the number of people that he had how he moved the needle there with uh, with Tiger fans. It that part is so interesting because all week I've heard, God that that Doran is just such a punk, and <laughs> I just want to rub it in his face. Man, he's such a just don't like that guy. And I'm like, you know, I just don't get the sense he's a bad dude. Like. I'm thinking back uh, the, the series of, of altercations or whatever quotes. I guess in 16, he they knocked Wayne Gallman out of the game. Yeah. And he said, I don't think he said our plan coming in was to knock him out, but it kind of went in that direction. Like, yeah, we were kind of – we achieved one of our goals to, you know, hit them hard, something like that. But that – people really were furious about that. And then the laptop thing, I don't know that he's that vindictive – and that uh, just a, I don't think that's a, he's a jerk necessarily, but maybe he's just <laughs> not great at choosing his words sometimes in the heat of the moment. And I think that's also where the single entity market kind of comes in, right? I mean, he can say stuff in the triangle and it doesn't always get parsed the same way that it would, you know, with a fan base as passionate as Clemson's. Uh, you know, obviously, if he says something about Carolina, it, it's a little bit different because we'll all kind of glom on it and turn it into something. Uh, as we've seen the other way this offseason with North Carolina's women's basketball coach and, and some of the things that Drake Bay has said. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of where that hyper focus in a, in a market can can kind of show the difference uh, in, in how how personalities are received. I think, and I think if you're in the Clemson bubble, the contrast between Doran's demeanor and Dabo's demeanor is so sharp that it's almost like a shock to the senses to see, you know, for instance, Doran is being interviewed uh, during game day yesterday. I guess they're back at the team hotel. And it's literally this tone. Yeah, it's going to be a... Huge game, and uh, we just uh, we're, we're extremely, extremely excited and and motivated. And I mean, you want to go to sleep uh, listening to him uh, for a few minutes, but then you compare that to Dabo, who's like, I just love every part of this. I love every bit of the bus ride. It's amazing. I just savor every 
every ounce of it. I, it just never gets old. This is so great. College football is the best. So it's just jarring when you're in the Clemson bubble and you hear and you see this guy on top of what he has said, a few of the things that he has said over the years that have rubbed people the wrong way. And then you, you, you combine it with that, that just totally dry approach. And you just wonder, how does this guy lead a, a, a group of 100-plus young men? And how has he been successful exactly? What, what's your uh, answer to that, I guess, or interpretation of, is it just maybe he's different behind closed doors than he is when the cameras are on? Yeah, that, that's definitely it. And I've seen, you know, they've done a pretty good job in trying to promote the program more and the way that they've done that is with uh, an ACC network, you know, where they give them all access or even to their credit, their own coaches show now is, is a lot like that where you actually get to see them in the locker room and see how he interacts. And I remember last year after the Clemson game, they showed a clip and you know, the, they won and it was in the locker room and he told them we're the best team in the ACC. And I thought to myself, he would never ever say that to us. Yeah. So I've always instructed my producer. I said, anytime they do something, they'll get it because it's going to be better than anything, any sound that we could possibly get from him. But you can see that he, that he has a genuine connection um, with the players. And I just did a, uh, actually just did a podcast with Kyle Bambard, who I don't need to explain to Clemson <laughs> fans. And I, you know, I never really had a chance in, in six years to just kind of talk to him about the game and the missed kick and how his life was affected by that. And one of the stories that he told, uh, I do the podcast with Mike Glennon. One of those stories he told us was the day after he missed the kick at Clemson, you know, Dave Doran called him to his office and, just gave him a hug and basically told him he loved him and supported him and, you know, wanted to make sure he could do whatever he could to help him, you know, right down to even, you know, offering a campus police escort for Kyle as he went to class. And people were, you know, treating him as poorly as you could possibly treat someone. So uh, I think there's stuff like that in his 10 years, you know, he's certainly not perfect. Uh, but I think there are more of those stories of him genuinely caring about the players. And, you know, there's an old school, you know, they don't, they're not quite, they're obviously not Clemson. He's not averse to the portal, um, but he's also, they haven't exactly gone in and, and done, uh, you know, the USC, I'm sorry, I can't say that on your podcast, <laughs> this, this, the Trojans, the Southern California, Lincoln Riley, Portal Wall Stars. Um, you know, they haven't done that, but I think there's been, I think there's been a lot of development, a little, a lot of continuity in the program, and I think those are the things that he's prided himself on. And also some of the more human interests behind the scenes stuff. Uh, the ACC Network chronicled the bond between Doran and, and Ruffin McNeil, which was really cool uh, to see that that angle. Yeah, that was a great move last year, or heck, right before the pandemic. So it was post-2019, and I even kind of joked with NC State. I said, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Ruffin to go through the press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to let, let, let Dave do whatever he wants to do, which is fine, but then let Ruff uh, do the pressers. And, of course, that's not realistic, but... 
uh, it's always great to talk to Ruff and uh, get his insight because he's one of the, he's truly one of the good guys in college football. What is coordinator and coach assistant coach access like under Dave Dorn? Uh, I believe they have. So I don't go to all the availabilities during the week anymore. Um, but they have, they do have some player availability. They do have, I believe, both Gibson and Tim Beck one day each week in theory. I, I think that's been Tony Gibson more than Tim Beck so far this season. But I think if you, it's kind of weird how the whole, I mean, how access works now. It's just, it's just unusual. Uh, but no, I, they don't hide them. There's no rule that's like you can't talk to the assistants. That's for sure. And given the strength of the defense, Tony's been fairly uh, front-facing and, and vocal. So, I, I, yeah, I give him credit for that. You know, it's interesting. Clemson's media access is certainly, I think, better than than NC State's and better than probably most. But there's still that element of you know, controlling the message. And, um, you know, you can just tell everybody's been coached thoroughly on what not to say and yeah. and this and that. And, and what I've, I think I was conversing with David Hale recently of ESPN, and I remarked to him that I hate it that I'm not able to develop relationships with these players when they're here, but I love it. And this is this is what sort of triggered when you mentioned you interviewing Bambard on your podcast. I really have gotten to know a lot of former, like once they, once they are no longer playing, that's when really I've developed the most yeah. uh, relationship wise. And it's great. Um, I just wish there could be more of that when they're actually playing the game, because that is the way it used to be. Uh, you know, when you covered a beat for a newspaper or whatever, I mean, you're with these folks every day and there's give and take and, Certainly, more relationships develop between the, uh, the the writer and the uh, and the player or coach. Yeah, that, that's what I miss the most um, about the switch from you know writing to what I'm doing now, and it's uh, it's too bad, and I get it. Every <laughs> it's funny because. I'm, I'm starting to think a little bit about Dave and the relationship there. And I just remember we did a, we did an interview last year and I was frustrated. And I just thought to myself, you know, every coach I've covered, they might not all like me, but I've kind of figured out a way to have a relationship with them in a way that is respectful. And I don't, I don't think my relationship with Dave is disrespectful. Um, but it's more of like they respect what I'm doing. And I've never gotten the sense from Dave that he's ever respected what I do or my actual value. And, and I would humbly, you know, just submit to you that my value is, is the, uh, the honest take assessment person. And when you're an NC state fan, you, you understand you're kind of, you're a lot in life. And, and I have been, someone who has voiced that for them and someone who really understands the fan base. And I just think with Dave, it's, there's a disconnect there, but I, I always, I recently told the story 
you know, I was covering NC State basketball and Mark Gottfried, who used to work at ESPN, is a lot like Mac Brown, is uh, wonderful with the media. And I just remember one time he had called me and he was mad at me about something. And he just said, you know, I, I help you. I text you. I call you. He goes, do you think Roy Williams would ever call you? <laughs> and, you know, I, I hadn't covered Carolina to that point. And I just remember I covered Carolina for the, the, the 2018 basketball season. And we got to the end of that season. And I'm at my son's fifth grade uh, moving up ceremony, if you will. And my phone rings in the middle of it, and it was Roy Williams. And you should have seen the guy next to me, who's a huge Carolina fan. He's like, is Roy Williams calling your phone? <laughs> and I, the very first thing I thought about was Godfrey saying, do you really think Roy Williams will call you? And I, obviously, I tell you this story as a little bit of the way to stroke my own ego, but also as a way to just, that's how the world kind of used to work. You know, the people that you covered would have an understanding of what you were about. And you obviously had an understanding of what they are about. And I've always gone about my business as a way of, I would never write something or say something on the air that I wouldn't say to somebody's face. And there's probably a Clemson fan listening to this going, you've been talking all kinds of junk about DJ Uyungle. And my <laughs> guess is you would never say that to his face. And the truth of the matter is I would yeah. because he wasn't good enough last year. And that's what I saw. And that's the other thing, Larry, is I'm always going to believe what I see with my own eyes. And, you know, he was in Raleigh and he just wasn't good enough. And that's the kind of season that he had last year. Now, it's a credit to Clemson that they're bad. Their, their basement is 10 wins. Think about that. Yeah. Their, their bad year is 6-2 and two in the league and 10 wins in a top – I don't know where they finished last year, but they probably were a top 10 team in the country if all things are, were, were considered equally. And, you know, th those are the kind of things that I have always kind of prided myself on. I'm not going to tell you you're great if you're not. Uh, but I, if you are, you're not, you're, you will have earned it. You know, I've told the story this week multiple times about the 2018 game down at Clemson. And the first out route I saw Trevor Lawrence throw, I swear to God, <laughs> I, I could hear it whistling. I could hear it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And the stadium was full. But I'm like, I turned around and, and talked to Luke Takak, my, my colleague then at the NNO, and I just thought, I said, that is what an NFL quarterback looks like. And, yeah, yeah, Joe, you don't have to be an NFL super scout to understand that. But you got to remember at the time, everyone was trying to shove Ryan Finley down our throat as something something special. And I'm just like, no, guys, that, that's not what special is. So that's a long way of just kind of saying, you know, I, I always have felt the need to just offer an honest assessment. And, yeah, so I would have said the things that I've said on my radio show about DJ Hula to him. And I, I guarantee you that's what Clemson talked to him about. That's what yeah. Dabo talked to him about. Like, hey, man. And credit to him, credit to DJ. He had a difficult year last year. And I heard Dabo at game day talk about his mental confidence was shot. Mentally, he was shot and he had no confidence. And so that that's a credit. That's a credit to DJ to take the offseason and put the work in that he did and come back the way that he did. Um, not only obviously with the, with the weight loss, but with the mental 
capacity of a lot of, there are a lot of people out there like me who told him he wasn't very good. And it would have been real easy for him to shut it down and transfer back to Fresno State or somewhere in California and say, I don't need this. And that's not what he did. And now he has Clemson in a, back in a position where uh, they're a major player in the college football playoff race. A lot of my listeners, I'm actually kind of surprised, are really interested in the inside baseball media stuff that we've been talking about. So I want to drill down a little more yeah. on, on that relationship with Doran. Okay, so he gets there in 13, right? Yeah, he got there at the end of 12 because they had this awkward – Tom gets fired uh, after their last regular season game. They beat Boston College. They finished that year at 7-5, and five, if I'm not mistaken. And Debbie had a relationship. Debbie Yao had a relationship with uh, an agent by the name of Jordan Bazant. Jordan had been, Jordan was Mark Gottfried's agent. He also coincidentally was Mac Brown's agent. And she knew she wanted to get rid of Tom and basically went to Jordan and said, who do you have for me? And the choices were Dave Doran, who was at Northern Illinois, or Sonny Dykes, mm. I think was at Louisiana Tech at the time. Um, she ended up interviewing both. And Jordan essentially thought Dykes would be a better fit at Cal and kind of orchestrated that and, you know, had kind of pro- had proposition dave as someone who could recruit at a level that debbie had always kind of emphasized um so yeah he comes in and there was like this awkward like dana bible coached the bowl game but dave was around at practice and it was just kind of weird and then that season was a complete and total washout that first year was just just a total washout And so, with Chad Morris, I want to. I think Chad Morris might have. They've reached out to him at around that time. She did, but she was not convinced that Chad could recruit. Okay, and that was her concern. Her her primary motivation. Well, I think Chad also, quite frankly, would have been more expensive than Dave, um, uh-huh. even as a, an assistant. So um, that that was part of it. That was definitely part of. It. But her. Debbie's thing is she, she cracks me up and I have a much better relationship with her now than I did even then. And, and I didn't have an, an adverse relationship with her. It just sometimes it would cool. And, um, but she, uh, one of my favorite things, one of the first years she had the NC state hall of fame. Um, she, she, <laughs> I, I got her on a, on a night where she might've had a, a glass of wine too. And, <laughs> We're sitting there waiting for um, the ceremonies to start, and we're in the back. And uh, she was very excited about the the night. It was at Reynolds Coliseum, and I was giving her a hard time about Gary Williams, uh, obviously who she had a, a, a contentious relationship with, and because I I have something that I call the Gary Williams death rules. <laughs> which are if your life depended on it, right? You didn't recruit the team, but if there were 10 people in a gym and you, you coached five and I had to coach five and your life depended on it, what coach would you want to save your life 
with those five guys. And I always say Gary Williams would be my choice. (laughs) And she says to me, don't give me any of this coach them up stuff. (laughs) (laughs) To which I was like, Debbie, I'm putting that in your obituary. Just so you know, (laughs) don't give me any of that coach them up stuff. And she was like, you gotta have players. You gotta have talent. And she just felt like Tom wasn't, wasn't working hard enough on the recruiting trail. So that was always kind of her primary objective. And that's kind of how she, yes, she did talk to Chad, but I do remember her kind of thinking the recruiting angle, but also, and, for the state of North Carolina too, right? Uh, but also mostly with uh, mostly with I think money was probably in that equation as well. All right, so you're sharing some really intimate details of that search. Often you're able to piece that together after the fact, maybe you know later on when it's not so sensitive and they've already made the hire. Other times you're getting it in real time and, and you're, yeah. you're being confided in. Um, and you, I don't know if you even care to, you might want to keep that private, um, but just curious, was that, was that in the moment or was that something you pieced together later or are you, are you on top of it the whole time? Um, that was a search Debbie was so proud of in the sense that they ha- she had the basketball search the year before and to replace Sydney Lowe. And man, she had to go through it. That's the one where she claimed, you know, sabotaged by Gary Williams. And she had correctly identified Shaka Smart as the right coach. And kind of in the NC State stuff business, Shaka Smart goes from the first four at VCU to the freaking final four. So she's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting. And I think Shaka kind of got, you know, he would, he got talked out of it basically by not only by the success of VCU, but also I think VCU gave him a significant raise and a basketball practice facility that he had been angling for. Uh, but she then got like this series of public rejections, Nick Cronin, um, Oh geez, Greg Marshall, Mm-hmm. Uh, even Josh Passner, there was a couple in there that I said to her, what are you doing? <laughs> um, I always love Mike Bray. And she was like, oh, he don't want to come down. And I said, okay. And that was when I had a famous conversation with her about Archie Miller. I said, well, just hire, because Archie hadn't been a head coach. I said, just hire Archie. Just be done with it. And she's like, no, no, he's not ready yet. Not quite. I got one more move. And funny enough, I get up. Uh, phone call from Chris Corciani, who's from South Florida. He goes, Debbie's uh, not taking any of my phone calls, but will you tell her, please, that Frank Martin will take the job? <laughs> and Frank, uh, you know, a South Florida guy. And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I remember distinctly, Debbie hadn't, you know, she had been knee-deep in this search, like just completely, you know, everywhere she turned, it, it was kind of bamboozled. And I, so I said to her, I go, all right, uh, Frank Martin, I think who was at West Virginia maybe at the time, or that was Huggins, or was that Kansas State? Kansas State. 
And he, and he was ready to get the hell out of Kansas State, obviously, because he took the South Carolina job eventually. But I said, Frank Martin, I said, we'll take the job. And so she goes, I've got one more option. And now I'm sitting there thinking, geez, better than Archie, better than Frank Martin. I go, you got somebody better than Frank Martin? You're going to take the job? She's like, yes. And the next day, she has the press conference. Mark Godfrey's introduced. And that was a, you know, she went through five, six, seven guys. And it was a public embarrassment for her. And that's the way she took it. Even though, you know, she believed in Mark and, and he had success early in his tenure, obviously. Uh, but that's the way that she took it. And so that really shaped her football search. And so I was pretty hip to the game on that one with Jordan, the agent, knowing you know, if he had a guy that she was going to try to expedite it through Jordan. So she was so proud of that search in the way that she had, you know, kind of bounced back from that basketball search. So she was more than willing, even in real time, because um, it went quickly. She was more than willing to kind of um, celebrate how, you know, she had handled that search. So, but more of it's kind of come out in the years, the subsequent years, you know, I, I still talk to Debbie, uh, you know, fairly regularly we'll, we'll, we'll check in. And then, you know, I've, uh, Jordan Bazan got out of the agent business, but I've had enough conversations with him that you kind of can piece some of those things together too. So, and he, he was always, he was always great in, in real time. Um, certain things you're not obviously going to answer, but he, he all, Jordan knew heck, uh, when Dave was interviewing with Tennessee, in 17, as I say about people knowing, you know, my values, oh, well, if Joe says it's real and reports that it's real, well, then it's real. And so, you know, he was, he was quite uh, motivated in 17 to kind of get that Tennessee offer out there. So the basketball search with, with and you're, she's clearly confiding in you in real time. What is the understanding and how, what are you writing at that time, as you're getting a lot of great background, like how, I'm, people probably want to know, like how do you, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you manage, like what to write, what yeah. not to write, like without violating, you know, yeah. without I, without get her shutting down. Yeah, it could be difficult. Um, I'm trying to remember that basketball search. I I, I just kind of view it as I, once I get to the point where I have where I think it's not only right, but I have it. It's more of, I'll bring it to the person, whether it's the coach or the AD and say, this is what I am about to write. Would you like to offer some input on this? Uh And then that's usually when they'll either plead the fifth, which is a tell of course, (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I've had enough of a relationship with some of them that they would just flat out say, that's not right. That's, so, you know, um, I can't remember everything I wrote during that search, but I do remember during when Mark was fired, um, I had the choice between going to a game up at VCU again. And that would have been Will Wade, a Clemson guy, as you guys know, or going to the UNCW game, which was Kevin Keats, 
and Will Wade's agent was Jordan Vazan. So uh-huh. I went to Richmond and I went to the game and Will had a good team. And I get, we're not supposed to be impressed with Will anymore, but I was super impressed with the way that he coached that team, prepared that team, had them the way that they played. And then after the game, it was kind of on the fly. I didn't want to go to the press conference. I just said, if you'll talk to me after the press conference, I don't need to be kind of grand staging in your grandstanding in your press conference. He said, that's fine. And we talked and he just kind of looked at me. We're in the hallway at this rinky dink, you know, VCU kind of facility. And he just kind of looked at me like, well, what are you doing here? (laughs) I said, said, well, I said, uh, Jordan is your guy. And Debbie, given the choice, will hire one of Jordan's guys. And he's like, okay. And he's like, well, you know, I don't want, uh, well, you're here, but I'm not, you know, angling. I don't want you to, you know, basically write this as if I'm, you know, and that, like you, like I requested this or Jordan requested this. I said, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm here to touch base with you. So if, you know, if it works out the way I think it will, then you'll know who the heck I am and you'll put two and two together and realize I have half of a brain. Um, he actually had hoped, I think, last minute during that search that Clemson would come open and he would go to Clemson. Mm. And he was given the opportunity. He was basically, he had asked for an opportunity to consider the state job and the state offer. And that's when Debbie took it as, I don't think he's 100% in for us. And she knew she could get Kevin. And that's what she did. She had circled, circled kind of around Kevin, but Will was her first choice. So when Doran is hired, when did you get the sense, uh oh, this guy might not be keen on having any type of relationship? And and what was that sort of timeline like? And and did it come down to eventually him just saying, "Hey, look, dude, I, I'm just not interested." Um, no, and that's kind of a uh, one of the things I've tried to learn through all these years is, is, uh, it's not about you, right? Like a lot of times you could take things personally, but it's not about you. And I just remember the 2019 season, um, they go four and eight and Dave basically cleared, cleared his whole coaching staff out. And I saw him, they do a, they do like a, a signing day or, something close to signing day. They tried to do a press conference. And I just remember they had some sort of lunch where we went over there and I was sitting next to him. And I just said to him, basically I said to him, what's your story, man? Like you, you're not going to return text. You're not, he's like, Oh, I have a new number. And he's like, I got a new phone because everybody in the country was texting me, blah, 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 blah. And you know, kind of a point of contention I have with NC State or with, with Dave, if you will. I was super nice to them in, in 2019. My, my thing, Larry, is if, if everyone else is going to be uh, patting you on the back, I'm probably going to be questioning why everyone else is patting you on the back. And then if everyone else is kind of taking their shots at you, I'm probably not going to take my shots at you because you don't 
you know, that I want to be different, right? And in 2019, I wrote multiple stories that said NC State had a good recruiting class, and then you know they got another one, and that those the the, the 21 team that just kind of happened to line up with Trevor Lawrence's exit from Clemson would be their big chance to win the ACC. And I remember I wrote that multiple times, mm. and that was never really acknowledged by Dave or NC State. And that day, though, you know, he told me, "All right, I changed my number. I got everybody in the world calling me." I just realized hey, it's not about me. You know, <laughs> it's 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 just how he is, and also, you know, he he's at that time you're coaching for your life and your livelihood, and yeah, uh, I you there are ways that you can be valuable uh, to coaches, and they can they can understand that you can be helpful. But then there are times where you're just like, look, man, I'm bailing water over here. And I don't have anything against you. I don't. I don't think if we ever, you know, talk to Dave and say, "Oh, I don't like Joe." It's not that at all. I just think his thought process is is not of a, a Mac brand. It's not of a Mark Godfrey. It's more of a, "What do I got to do? What do I got to do to make this work the best for me and my players?" And I don't. I don't begrudge him that at all. I, I do. I do find the scorekeeping a little bit off. That yeah, there are times when I hammer them. Sure enough, but there that whole 2019 season was me being nice to them and me cutting them a break, and they never acknowledged that, which does to this day doesn't sit right with me. You say they that includes Doran and who else? Uh, well, that would have been Boo Corrigan too, okay, and, and Annabelle Myers. I mean, you know, quite frankly, they're 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 PR staff. You know, they act like oh, you're you're never nice to us, or you're this, or you're that, and it's like eh, not really. That's not true. Do you think Doran has no relationships with anybody in the media? Just, just because that's who he is, or? Are no, there... I mean he's got his he's got his favorites, and, and that's fine. I, I don't. Again, I don't begrudge him. That. Like local guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. I just think, in general, I think his attitude is that, you know, they have their own thing going on, social media wise, which they make some hay off of recruiting wise. So, I don't. You know, it's but that's never been me either. Like I don't, I don't get into the the recruiting weeds. I've never gotten. That's kind of why I got out of the beat writing business to be, you know, fully transparent. I, that's basically the only way a lot of newspapers and other sites can make money is by getting into those recruiting weeds. And I just I don't have the intellectual capacity to to do it. Yeah, we have a. A guy who covers recruiting exclusively, and when I, when I was first talking to my future publisher in 2008 about coming over, my first question was, "Do I have to cover recruiting?" The answer is <laughs> no, and I said, "Can I get that in the contract?" Yeah, smart. <laughs> Just can't do it. <laughs> um, Very smart, Joe. You wrote a column last night from the game, and I thought it was really, really well done. Because, primarily because you have a great sense of sort of the wolf pack, you know, where they are, the history and sort of what last night meant. And like you said, um, the sort of face plants on big stages historically. But you also have a good feel for Clemson and where they are. Um, I want to, I'm going to link it on our uh, message board, but. Um, I'm going to read a couple of passages 
Uwe Anglele was the best player on the field on Saturday night, an unthinkable concept after his pedestrian season in 2021. Clemson is a proud program. The Tigers run the ACC. Their 6-2 league mark was a blip last year. The seven straight ACC titles with two national titles in that run is the norm. The culture of Clemson is the culture of winning, even if their lineup doesn't look like the ultra-talented national championship teams of 2016 or 18. Uwe Anglele doesn't have to measure up to the impossible standard the Tigers have set at quarterback over the past eight years for Clemson to be the class of the ACC. I mean, that I, I read that and wished I had written it. That's really good, really good summation of, <laughs> of, of where things are with both um, programs. Oh, I, I guess I'll get to the NC State part. You sort of, I think the revelation you had was that, hey, maybe last year was NC State's year. They beat Clemson. Yeah. Um, and they still didn't win the division. And so, like, from a historical perspective, I mean, I could change. You know, we'll see what happens for the rest of the year. But it really feels like that's what they're going to uh, – that's sort of the crux of it right now for, for, for the pack is that, well, okay, the last year was our big opportunity. I know. And it's hard because you return – if you're NC State, I'll start on the NC State side. If you're NC State and you return so many of the same players from last year's team, you're nationally and – and you look at NC State's schedule, quite frankly, and you go, wow, this is a, this is a huge opportunity. And But that assumes that, A, you won't miss the left tackle who's the number six pick in the NFL draft. I think the way that they played last night, you get an indication that their offensive line – is a weak point. Then you assume, you know, the receiver who was the hero in the Carolina game, uh, most notably because it was the last game of last season. But then you go back and look at that Clemson box score from last year. Omeka Amazi had 14 catches. Yeah. Like, like he was, and none of them were easy, Larry. (laughs) There there were no lollipops in there. Um, And then you realize, well, what is this team missing? What is this NC State team missing? Yeah, Thayer Thomas had a nice game last night. He's a good player. Uh, but you're missing the, the the pop at playmaker. You're missing, the, you know, the kind of rock-solid one guy on that line where, you know what, if we run behind him, we're going to pick up the first down. We're going to get this. Uh, we're going to convert on the goal line. And, you know, between the ECU game and then the game last night, you realize those are those are the – the key piece is missing now for NC State, and you realize the assumption in the offseason was Clemson would still be struggling, you know, that, that they would still not have the answer at quarterback, that, you know, the skill players, that quite frankly, I'm still not sold on, and that'll probably cost Clemson once they get into the playoff, but that's... You know, just because Travis Etienne and, and the standard that they've set, uh, Andre Ellington, Jacoby Ford was honored last night. You know, I don't need to tell you guys all the players that you've had. They don't. They don't have one of those, in my opinion. But that does. That doesn't mean it's the only way you could win. And I think the way that they played last night, relying on Uyunglele to run the football, kind of sprinkling that in with some of the shots and play action shots that they took. That was a smart way to play the game. And quite frankly, you know, one of the big questions about Clemson this year was Brent Venables leaving. And, you know, let's just borrow from Dave Doran here. I think Clemson looked at the Wake Forest game tape from this year and said, all right, 
well, if Clemson's going to do this against us, a lot of teams are going to try to do this against us, even though not everyone can do it Wake Forest does. The adjustment that Clemson made from week to week was big, and that's smart. And it should give Clemson fans a lot of confidence that if they didn't already have it in a guy who's won two national titles, it should give him a lot of confidence that what he's doing with Wes Goodwin is going to be okay. And I think that was kind of crystallized to me last night. There are different ways to win and, and Clemson, that's their culture. They know there are different ways and they can figure those out. Whereas NC state is how do we, how, how are we not going to screw this up? And that's where it kind of comes across where you're like, okay, I can see the difference between these two programs. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. If I'm Doran, I know he made a big deal of the Clemson's two-minute touchdown at the end of the first half, said their cornerback, you know, brain-farted on the coverage, should have been there on the pass to Shipley. I don't think when he gets back to the office, I guess he's already back in the office, I think it's the other side of the ball. Because like you you, you said – you, said, you, you thought going into the year Clemson was going to be, really be struggling at this point. Well, they kind of were struggling on defense. I mean, yeah. they had – Joe, they had a true freshman and a, and a sophomore, Nate Wiggins and Toriano Pride, basically go the distance last night at corner after Andrew McCuba um, w- was, was disqualified. They also had Sheridan Jones – didn't dress their normal starter Fred Davis in the doghouse whatever Malcolm Green didn't dress I was really surprised and and it felt like NC State was surprised with how Clemson played them giving them all that cushion it was almost it it almost felt like NC State goes in thinking we are going to hammer them vertically all game with our big receivers against their inexperienced smaller cornerbacks but they did not have a counter once Clemson started playing their 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 DBs way 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 back, and I don't know, man, that you have 13 points basically. 
uh, until that final touchdown against this with with, with Devin Leary. Um, you know, your your ace quarterback. I, I just that has to be the biggest disappointment to me because yes, Clemson's defensive front, you know, showed up and showed out as we thought they would come into the year. But this was a shaky secondary that had its confidence shattered the week before at Wake Forest. And I know that Wake has better weapons on the outside and Hartman is great. Yeah, but, but schematically, yeah. Tim Beck, whoever, just left a lot to be desired for me. And it even the, the dang on their first drive, you run a draw on third and goal from the what, six? Really? Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, the, the, the play calling can be confounding. And I, I think a lot of last night, you're right. There was no counter to Clemson playing two and three rear up and, and giving the room that they gave. And the counter they're trying with all the pressure was the screen game. That, that just doesn't work. Um, so I, it's interesting with Tim Beck. He, he's obviously a uh, kind of some low-hanging fruit for people like me to be critical of. Um, but he was really creative in the pandemic year when Devin got hurt and he had to do some different things with Bailey Hockman. And he really was creative in that 2020 season. And for whatever reason, with Devin healthy the last two years, he's, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's Dave. I don't know if it's a, a combination of how, you know, the two of them kind of think and, and coordinate together with their game plans. But they're, they're not they're not, they're not beating teams with their scheme. And they rely too heavily on receivers to make plays on the outside without scheming the players open. That's my, that's my primary complaint with what they do. Uh, there's too much of it is, all right, I'm going to throw this up. You go make a play. And it's like, you know, you don't have to do it that way, right? Like, you can put guys in motion. You can use a play fake on first down, which is one of the, my primary criticisms of uh, Tim Beck, who's extremely predictable on first down. Um, there, there's different ways to build your mousetrap. And in my opinion, I don't think they've built the best mousetrap to give themselves a chance. But I do think their defense is good. Uh, they were good last night, save for the, those two drives, the start third quarter and the end of the second quarter. I think all those were real lapses. Uh, but again, I think you you have to give credit to to DJ for the way that he was able to extend some plays and also uh, just play with a lot of confidence. And I think it uh, showed in those two drives, and I think ultimately turned out to be the difference of the game. Did a lot of NC State fans go into that game thinking we're winning, or was it more oh gosh, big stage, not feeling really good about this because of the history? Well, I think. There's uh, the hope is always what kills you as an NC State fan, right? Um, I think going into the year, there was an idea that this was their year. And then they performed subpar in the second half of the ECU game, which is when I first had questions. And then, you know, you're watching Clemson, and it's still in the back of my mind. It was, all right, guys, now, this is not the same Clemson team from 18 or 19. 17 or 16 or 15 <laughs> like right like yeah they have talent no doubt yeah. uh, but not kind of the same explosive you know if you don't cover 
Ray Ray McLeod on this, you know, sweep, you're screwed. Uh, you know, it's just, you don't, I don't see that out of Clemson's offense. So I think there was a cautious optimism. I think there was also a sense with this NC State team. Well, if they don't win this year, when in the world are they going to win? And, you know, I'm kicking myself because I, I, uh, my co-host Jovius is like, you know, you're way too logical with this stuff. Because uh, I said to him at the kickoff, I go, I'm going to take Clemson. That's the logical choice. And he's like, where does logic get you? You know, because I picked Kentucky to win the NCAA tournament because they, turns out they beat Carolina and, and uh, Kansas by like 40 points combined. And sure enough, it's Carolina and Kentucky and uh, Kansas in the final and not Kentucky. And he's yelling at me and making fun of me. He's like, you know, you're way too logical. <laughs> I said, I said, fine. I'll I'll write a column that says logically Clemson's the choice, but but screw it. Uh, NC State, this is this is their 40 year storm. And <laughs> I, I'm 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 not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the day the ACC announced they were getting rid of the divisions. I said on the air, I said, you know what's going to happen. And Joe goes, what? I said, NC State is going to go seven and one. Clemson's going to go eight and zero, and under the old format, <laughs> un, uh, under the new format, yeah. NC State and Clemson would play in the ACC championship game. But this is the last year of the old <laughs> format, which means Clem, Clemson's going to go, and I guarantee you, Carolina goes five and three, and they win the Coastal Division, and they play Clemson in Charlotte, and it was like, oh. Yeah, that's just you being a, uh, a state masochist. And I was like, no, I could see it. I could see it. But I think we might be shortchanging uh, Wake Forest a little bit there. I, I think the, the state Wake Forest game is going to be another one of those telltale moments to see what the program is. It just occurred to me that NC State and South Carolina are almost like sister schools when it comes to <laughs> disappointment and eternal hopes being dashed. And do you see that similarity as well? Yeah. And it's funny, South Carolina wouldn't have anything if not for the NC state baseball coach, who yeah. of course is now the uh, South Carolina AD, but I always laugh at that. And then if you want to, if you really want to connect it, you know, Frank Martin probably should have been NC state's basketball yeah. coach. And not South Carolina, so they would really have nothing. <laughs> uh, other than women's basketball, of course. Uh, can't can't shortchange Dawn Stanley and what she's done uh, for the Gamecocks. But, you know, in, in, the, in the men's sports, it's just kind of funny to me that uh, Ray Tanner, an NC State guy, you know, goes and wins two national championships for, for the Gamecocks. Last question. Five years from now, is Clemson in the ACC still? And what does the ACC look like in the eyes of what's your what's your prediction? I want to see, that's a great question. Uh, the data I want to see is let's look at Texas. Let's look at USC. When they get to their new conferences, are they going to make the playoff at nine and three or 10 and two? I don't know the answer to that. I do know if USC had stayed in the Pac 12 and went 11 and one or 12 and 0, then they're in. I do know if Texas or Oklahoma stayed in the SEC, the Big 12 and went 11 and 1 or 12 and 0 they're in. And it's a hell of a lot easier to go 11 and 1 and 12 and 0 in the leagues that you're in. And I don't know if that would be enough of a cautionary tale for Clemson 
and, and I have the highest possible opinion of Clemson, but I don't think it's unrealistic to believe that there will be more years than not that they would be 10 and 2, 9 and 3 in the SEC in an expanded SEC. And if they stay in the ACC, well, as we saw last year, 10 and 2 is the absolute worst they're ever going to be. And more often than not, they're probably going to be 12 and 0. Um, so that's the data I want to see. I know financially, it, I don't know what, I don't know if this is a longer, bigger question, and I'll try to answer it as succinctly as possible. ESPN is wed to the ACC. They're going to pay the money to the ACC no matter what. It would be in ESPN's best interest to not take any ACC teams and put them in the SEC. It would be in Fox's interest to take Clemson and put them in the Big Ten. Would that would could they financially make that work? Would the Big Ten be motivated to financially make that work? I don't know. But I know that ESPN is financially motivated, not necessarily to protect the integrity of the ACC but to understand that there is a value to what Clemson does in the ACC and that they are, they are financially obligated to pay that money out no matter what happens through 2036. So in, in my opinion, the, the biggest advocate the ACC has is the, the entity that actually controls them, which is ESPN. I can't predict, though, what, that Fox couldn't come in and pull doors off of Clemson with an offer I that's the part I can't predict. Um, but I, I hopefully what I'm saying makes sense. You know what I want to see the data on long-term is if these rights fees are going to go up exponentially, how, 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 how many more commercials are, yeah. <laughs> is that going to be, are the commercials going to be proportional? Because right freaking now you could feel it in the stadium last night. The, 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 yeah. the, the stoppages people are, getting fed up not just at home but also inside the stadiums like so if this if we're going to see 25 percent more commercials wow man you might have some you might have some data on fans just not watching anymore i do wonder about the meteorites bubble that i'm with you on that front Uh, there's so many things i would change about college football it's crazy including the clock rules to get that thing moving uh, and I thought last night actually moved along fairly well, other than to your point, some of the breaks that ended up being placed in there. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that can change, and hopefully will over the next ten, five to ten years. But yeah, I, you know, I think just like USC and UCLA and Texas and, and Oklahoma, these schools are always going to try to do what's best for them financially. And it's crazy to think about Texas in those terms because they they are the, the richest program in the country. And I wonder, Texas is one that I really am going to be interested in because you already have all this money, and now you're putting yourself in a position where you're probably not going to make the playoff with any regularity in the SEC. And I wonder if that will be enough to, to, to deter, uh, you know, Clemson, Carolina, Miami from leaving the ACC. Florida State, I guess you could throw that too. But that's under you talking about Texas. I mean, 
that's under the current playoff format. I mean, you're, are you talking? I mean, we're talking. No, I'm talking about okay. once they get to the new playoff. Okay. Like they're going to join the East if they stayed in the Big Twelve. Yeah, they yeah, could yeah. go eleven and one. I see. In theory, yeah, they could do what Oklahoma has done and go eleven and one and twelve and zero, go to the playoff three yeah. out of five years, which I think Oklahoma has done. In yeah. going to the SEC. Oklahoma and Texas are now putting themselves in a position where they're probably regularly going to be ten and two. Now they're probably there's going to be many years where they're ten and two, many years where they're eight and four. So are they going to be able to get into the playoff at nine and three or ten and two, or would they have been better off staying in the Big Twelve and even even if financially you're not making the same money, you're competitively in a in a situation where you're in the playoff every three out of four years. I don't. I don't know if that's going to happen. Even if I think four SEC teams make the playoff each year, well, good luck keeping Alabama and Georgia out every year. Uh, I, I I just don't see how that's going to change. You know. See, I think the competitive piece, and I'm talking in terms of Clemson here in particular, and other other ACC schools as well. The competitive piece, you know, path of least resistance. Uh, piece, which has always been a great argument. I mean, Clemson's last eight years has been a great argument for that. Yes. But that is minimized by you go from being at a $15 million deficit every year uh, uh, compared to your SEC brethren and Big Big Ten brethren, and now you're talking about $50 million plus 60, 70 million deficits, dollar deficits a year. That the competitive piece doesn't mean squat at that point. It's like, we got to, we got to survive is basically the, the, yeah. And that's, that's the other part of it is, does it just become so obvious to recruits, the high level recruits that the only way that you're going to win the national championship is by going to a big 10 or sec school. Is that what's going to happen? That's the other part of it. Because then you're right. Then if you're going to sit here and try to be, uh, Boise State and beating teams, you know, the old Boise State beating teams with a kind of underrated talent. Well, then you're probably going to be swimming upstream for Wisconsin if you want to use a better program. Joe, man, you've been so generous with your time. This has been great. I really appreciate you uh, you doing this. I appreciate your boys <laughs> being quiet this whole time. And uh, <laughs> did the Dabo sits to pee? Uh, Sign, make it on. Make it, it on. It's it. They, they had a buddy who was up on the front row, so they had it. Uh, it was behind him, actually, while Dabo was doing his interview over in the, the Home Depot corner there. So they were uh, they were pretty excited about it. a bunch of their friends texted them, but still shots and everything else. So. That's fantastic. Well, man, um, really enjoyed catching up with you yesterday in the press box, and of course, right now, man, I, um, I owe you one if you're every everything. You need from my end. Uh, don't hesitate to to let me know. Absolutely, we'll probably check in with you this week, Larry. We'll have you on the show. Please do, please do. Okay, great stuff there. Fascinating stuff about Dave Doran. What things are like behind the scenes with him, and also how Joe has done his job over the years—a tough job in a lot of ways. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for their long-standing and generous support. Also, thanks to all of you for hitting that play button. Speaking of play button, we're about to hit it on the full version of the track Digital Zeus from the band Cash Machine, Zach Thigpen. He's been a guest on this podcast. Frequent listener, TigerIllustrated.com subscriber, huge Clemson fan, has played guitar on the field at Memorial Stadium. 
for multiple halftime shows, founding member of the Grateful Brothers Band, and now Cash Machine. This band is tremendous. So many different styles, so hard to categorize, and so talented. I'm going to get out of the way now. Here we go. Enjoy. Yes, mm-hmm. 